0: If you were a fruit, which one would you taste like? Are you sweet, like a strawberry, or sour, like a lemon? Are you a bit of a softy, like a banana, or spiky, like a pineapple? Are you unique, like a dragon fruit, or more traditional, like an apple? Now, weird fruit personalities aside, if I were to ask someone in your life, what does that person taste like? What would they say? Would it be loving, joyful, peaceable, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled? Can people taste the fruit of the Spirit in your life? I wonder if you've thought of the fruit of the spirit in this way before let's just think about fruit trees for a moment um, there you go you've got your apple trees all lined up in an orchard somewhere um, and during the spring they start to blossom and, and grow and f- fruit starts to be produced on them um, nobody needs to tell them to start producing fruit um, they just do it's in their nature as apple trees to produce apples But they aren't making the apples for themselves, are they? You know, who's ever seen a tree eat its own fruit? No, rather, we humans, we go and harvest the apples from the trees, or animals come and eat of that fruit. The the, the tree doesn't produce fruit for itself, but for others. And so if this is true of apple trees, how much more is it true of a Christian who produces the fruit of the Spirit? Surely we must think of the fruit in this way. Um, We must see that our fruit is not primarily for us, um, but for others. A Christian is to blossom and be fruitful, uh, for others to come along and taste. Uh, Our fruit is meant to hang off the branch of our life, as it were, so that others may come and taste the sweetness of our character. One of the mistakes we often make is to think of our character only in terms of ourselves. Perhaps we take pride in our character. We're only this way to show off and appear respectable towards others. Or maybe we make it all about self-improvement and we're constantly trying to get better so that we may feel more confident about ourselves. Or perhaps we focus on the fruit of the Spirit in order to prove that we're really saved. Perhaps we take the verse... By their fruits you shall know them and think, well, I'd better be a fruitful Christian then, otherwise other people won't think I'm a Christian. And all of a sudden the fruit of the spirit becomes a burden upon you. You're constantly trying to perform, to produce this fruit so others will accept you and believe that you are a Christian. Or or perhaps you're doing it for yourself, to convince yourself. Perhaps you examine your life and see a lack of fruit. And so start doubting whether you're saved at all. However, that's not the mindset that we're meant to have when we come to the fruit of the spirits, because it's not about us. <laughs> you know, it, it really is. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about serving others. It's about serving God. Our fruit in our lives is primarily to be for God and for others. Do you see the difference in perspective here? Rather than looking so introspectively inwardly, turning over every leaf, checking every branch for a sign of fruit, rather than looking inwards, we focus outwards to the interests of others. And then we become fruitful. The question isn't how can I be a more loving person? But how can I how then can that person know that I love them? What can I do for them? What can I do to enrich their life? A fruitful Christian is someone who feeds others with their character. Their character can be experienced. We can't know what a piece of fruit tastes like or any food tastes like just by listening to a description of it. In fact, it's really hard to describe flavor, isn't it, if you think about it? It, it, it tastes sweet like, like this, like a strawberry, but it's not exactly a strawberry. It's like this... Uh, It's really hard to describe flavor. It has to be experienced. And and it's the same with Christian fruitfulness. We might think of ourselves as loving and joyful people. But until we actually give other people a taste of our love, a taste of our joy, then we're truly fruitful. That's how we are to be as Christians, to give others a taste of this divine flavor of the fruit of the Spirit. And so the challenge to us this morning is this. Do we taste like the fruit of the Spirit? I've got three points for us this morning. Um, The first point is going to be a bit longer than the others, um, but then the other ones will be shorter. Um, So let's come to our first point then this morning. The flavor of the Spirit. Sorry, the flavor of the fruit. (laughs) It's alliterative, I should have got it. (laughs) The flavor of the fruit. The flavor of the fruit. We're going to begin by looking at all these different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Um, we've got nine characteristics here of the fruits, which is a lot to cover in one point, um, even in one sermon. You know, you'd have nine sermons on each of these characteristics, wouldn't you? Um, but I'm only here for one, so I've got to get through it all now. Um, so in this point, we're going to briefly look at each of these aspects. And the main thing we're going to see is how they're all relational. And as we go through them, we're going to get a sense of the flavor of the fruit of the spirits. And I say flavor, singular, because this is the fruit of the spirit, singular. We're not looking at the fruits of the spirit, but the fruit of the spirit, uh, so you can see that there. It's all one fruit together. These characteristics are nine characteristics together, forming one main flavor of the fruit. And so here we're going to have to grasp these different aspects. Paul uses these different words, but there's, there's a bit of overlap between them. It's hard to describe one without describing the others because they're all a combined whole. You have the whole picture of the fruit for Christian here and so we're going to see what this all this all tastes like together so but we will go through each um, characteristic in part so let's first look at love love is obviously relational um, we might speak of loving things um, like so i could say i i love pizza uh, I, I love board games but then if i were to say i love my family you know i love my friends I mean something so much more, don't I? Imagine a husband saying to his wife, I love you just like I love pizza. (laughs) Well, That wouldn't be right, would it? Love between people is so much more, it's so much richer. It's personal, relational, affectionate, caring. And even more than that, love involves action. Love is always moving in the direction of others, wanting to give and serve. It's an attitude that leads to action. You know, a person can't know that you love them until you actually act upon that love. If love was just a feeling, no one could taste your love because others, people can't taste your feelings. It's much more than that. It involves action, going out for that person, serving them, giving to them. Love is giving of yourself to someone that you care about, whatever that cost will be to yourself. Secondly then we have joy and joy is an interesting one when you think about it relationally. Um, we can be joyful when we're alone yes but but often joy is most found in the context of being with others when it's shared. Um, think of someone with some good news, maybe a couple getting engaged or a baby being born. Um, the joy just overflows, and they just want to share it with everyone. And, and so we get to be joyful with them. Well, that's how joy is relational; it's to be shared. Um, we're to overflow with joy so that others may taste it and see it too. You know, my, my grandpa was a very joyful man. Uh, he went to be with the Lord in 2013. Um, And used to come over to Nottingham from Leicester um, to visit us every Friday. And quite often we'd go to the chip shop for tea. Well, on one occasion, when we were buying the chips, the man over the counter said to my grandpa, you are always happy. Why is that? To which my grandpa replied, because Jesus is my saviour. That's the kind of joy that we're to have as Christians A joy in Christ that overflows into other people's lives. A joy that they can see and recognize and taste. A joy that the world does not know and yet longs to have. Love, joy, peace. Well, often when we think about peace, we think of it as the opposite of war. Um, Obviously, at the moment, we are devastated by the war in Ukraine at this time and other wars around the world what's happening is a travesty it shouldn't be that way there should be peace and that's intuitive to all of us even an unbeliever whether you're a Christian or not we, we all want peace one of those main things you ask someone to make a wish for something wish the first one seems to be world peace all the time but peace is far more than the absence of war it's also the presence of unity We read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, um, that believers are unified by the Spirit through the bond of peace. Peace brings about unity. How great it is to know someone who is united with you. Despite their differences, you may disagree. And yet there is that underlying bond between you, that unity that you have. Christians produce peace. They want to have peace with others. They're peacemakers. They seek unity in Christ and in his gospel. Patience is next. Alternatively uh, translated forbearance or long-suffering in some other versions. This is obviously a relational one, isn't it? How often we need to be patient with one another. People might rub us up the wrong way or might get on our nerves. Sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes it's us getting fussed over nothing. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is patient, forbearing. It doesn't hold other people's wrongs against them, but forgives. It is in God's very character to be this way, isn't it? This is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God shows us what real patience is like. if, If we reflect on our own sins, even as a believer, all we can do and all that we have done against him, but then we reflect on God, how patient he must be to bear with me and all my sins. He's not destroyed me. He's not lost his temper with me. We can taste his patience with us and When he brings discipline, he brings it out of love. He's he's working in us patiently to sanctify us, to transform us, to change us. That's how we are to be with others, to bear with other people's faults, praying for God to work in them and patiently serving them that they might repent and grow in grace. Next, then, in the list are kindness and goodness, and I'm going to take these two um, together these two are very similar and closely linked. Um, Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Fruitful Life, um, defines kindness and goodness in this way. Kindness is a sincere desire for the happiness of others. Goodness is the activity calculated to advance that happiness. Kindness is a sincere desire for the happiness of others. Goodness is the activity calculated to advance that happiness. Kindness is a desire to do good to others, and goodness actually follows up and does it. You know, you could be a kind person, but not good, or a good person and not kind. Imagine someone who speaks kindly to people, makes all kinds of promises to them, and all the promises they want, all the good they will do to you, um, how they wish well on you, but then they never actually do it. They tasted kind, but then a bitter taste is left afterwards. Or take someone who's good, who's diligent, who serves people, who devotes themselves to good works. But they do it in a cold manner, an uncaring manner. It's just a job to them. It's a tick list. They have to do it. They're only doing it because they have to, not because they want to. It's their duty, not their delight. Well, we, we don't connect with those people. They, they do you good, but you taste that they don't really care about you. Rather, kindness and goodness go hand in hand. We can taste when someone genuinely cares for us and when they not only do, do us good, but it's their pleasure to do so. Your growth is their joy. They want to do good to you and they actually do it. That's kindness and goodness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Faithfulness is a love that endures. You can think of all these characteristics as enduring. That's faithfulness. How reliable um, this person is to you. It's not that they just wanted you your good on just one occasion, um, but on all occasions. You can count on them. You can trust them. Their fruitfulness has a freshness to it. It's always ripe. Uh, It's inviting you back again for more. You can rely on that person. What a wonderful thing to taste a faithfulness. Nearly at the end now. Second to last, we have gentleness. Gentleness describes the manner in which we treat others. We are to be considerate of other people's weaknesses. We're not to be brash or inconsiderate of how others feel hurting them as opposed to helping them. But but neither are we to be timid, so so soft that we're weak and useless, uh, avoiding difficult situations. Rather, we're meant to approach those who are weaker than ourselves with a spirit of gentleness, the, the desire to restore them and to build them up. We're to stoop down to where they're at and tenderly care for them in their need. Last of all, then, is self-control. Perhaps this one is the one that sounds least relational of them all. After all, self-control sounds like all about self. Well, self-control is about controlling ourselves, about killing sin, about disciplining ourselves for godliness. But there's a difference between a worldly self-control and a godly self-control. You know, The world talks a lot about self-discipline, about self-improvement, about self-betterness. The end goal is to improve yourself, to make you a better person. You have an ideal for what you want to become, and so you work hard towards that goal so that you will be satisfied in you. The focus is all on you. But godly self-control is different. The focus is on others, not you. Godly self-control is when we control ourselves for the sake of other people. You know, what's the main reason we fight against sin? Yes, we hate it in our own lives, but we hate its effect on other people's. We hate that it displeases God and it displeases others. It harms others. Well, we are to discipline ourselves so that we're not ruled by our passions, but so that we're free to serve others. And so self-control can be tasted in someone. We can tell someone, we can tell when someone is working hard to fight against sin so that they might be better for you. They might, might serve you better. Someone who's concerned when they do wrong to you, who, who seeks to put it right. Uh, this is a godly self-control, controlling yourself so that you might serve others. Well, that's a brief overview of the fruits of the spirit. There's so much more we can dig into with those words um, than I've just covered. There's maybe things you have noticed yourself and thought of yourselves. But I hope you see the main thrust, the main point I've been driving at here. The fruit of the Spirit is all relational. Our lives are to taste like the fruit of the Spirit in all its rich flavour. Perhaps now we can imagine something of a person who is fruitful Like this, a person full of love towards you, someone who is so content and joyful, someone who is peaceable to you, someone patient with you when you fail, someone who has a kind disposition to you, someone who does you good, someone always faithful in their love to you, someone gentle and considerate of your weakness. Someone who disciplines themselves that they may be effective in doing you good. That's a person full of the Holy Spirit, full of the fruit of the Spirit and full of the Holy Spirit too. It's a glorious picture of a person. Someone so admirable, so beautiful. How we long to know a person like this. What a high picture of a Christian this is calling us to be. How sad it is then that we so often to fail, uh, so often fail to be fruitful. This leads us on then to our second point for this morning, the thorniness of sin, the thorniness of sin. I'm sure you know as much as I do is you listen to a description like that. And if you think of yourself, you think, no, that's not me. But also where is that person? We know as Christians that there's a war still going on within us. In verse 17, we read of how the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature. The two are opposed to one another. The the remaining corruption within us is not fruitful at all. But then, maybe you're not a Christian here this morning, Maybe you're also aware of how hard it is to be fruitful like this. Maybe you are listening to that point and thinking, well, who's even like that? This world is full of people, nothing like that, what you've just described. What are you trying to say, preacher, that that we we should all become like this? It's just not going to happen. People just aren't like that. Well, if you're thinking those thoughts, I agree with you. This world is full of people. Nothing like this. None of us meet that perfect standard of a fruit. You know, if we were wanting to be on a shop shelf um, to be sold, none of us would make it there to be sold. But but God's already identified the problem for us. He's already told us what's wrong. He's made it clear enough in, in His Word that we're not fruitful because of our sin. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. Perfectly to be good. It was in their nature to be fruitful, to be loving, to be kind, to be self-controlled. But instead of bearing the fruit of the spirit, they ate the fruit of death. Their disobedience in eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that planted the seed of sin in their hearts. And that seed took root in them and it began to grow until it produced sin. And then sin, when fully grown, produces death. Since Adam, every human being has been infected with sin. In verse 19, it speaks of the sinful nature and how we act out of it. Well we might as well call these acts, the sin, uh, acts of sin, the thorns of the sinful nature. Sin always desires to get its own way, to entangle us, to destroy our fruitfulness. Our sinful nature chokes our fruit, leaving us rotten to the core. If the fruit of the Spirit is relational, then so are the thorns of the sinful nature. We like to think that sin only has consequences on ourselves. but Sin has so many consequences on other people. We see this in the list of sins in verses 19 to 21. We'll just pick a few of them and just see how these ruin people's lives. So, sexual immorality tears families apart. It ruins the life of the one who's been betrayed. Hatred sows division and discord. It leads to anger and hostility towards others. It breaks that relationship there. It's very hard to love and care for someone that you're jealous of, who you envy, it just leads to a bitterness and a disregard for them. And then there's selfish ambition, which doesn't care who it has to hurt to get what it wants. Drunkenness, near the end of the list, might start out as a bit of fun, but we've all seen how such lack of control can be so isolating, ruining a person's relationships. All of us here have this sinful nature within us, whether we're Christians or not. And this sinful nature loves to jump at the opportunity to ruin our fruitfulness. Sin twists our love into self-love. It places the emphasis on ourselves and not on others. It seeks joy from all the wrong places, in drunkenness, in lust, in greed, which is idolatry. Sin produces fits of anger when we lose control hatred instead of kindness, jealousy instead of faithfulness. This is life in a fallen world, life with a sinful nature. If we say we have no sin, Christian or not, we are deceiving ourselves. Sin is the cause of every relational failure in our lives. And let me be the first to admit this in myself. To confess the sad corruption of my own nature. This isn't some visiting preacher coming to preside it all over you. No, we're all, we all have this problem. We are all too weak in ourselves to be fruitful. Our sinful nature is so perversive, pervasive and corrupt that it's impossible for us to change. Yet it is possible. To change, isn't it? We can produce this fruit. Otherwise, why is it in the Bible? Why is God calling us to produce this fruit? We can be honoring to God. We can resist temptation. We can put our sin to death. How can this be? If the problem is so bad, and it really is that bad, how can we change? Well, we can all change because of Jesus Christ. In him, we can bear much fruit. This leads us on to our final point for this morning now, the nourishment of Christ and the Spirit. The nourishment of Christ and his Spirit. Fruitfulness is possible for the Christian. Though though we admit the presence of the sinful nature, we must also remember the presence of the Holy Spirit. We can bear this fruit because, it's in the name, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's his work within us. We're not left helpless um, in our fruitfulness. We're not left like a tree, a dead tree, like trying to staple fruit to it to look good. No, that tree has become alive again and is producing fruit. The Spirit is within us producing that fruit now. That's the Spirit's role in our lives, to make us fruitful, to produce that fruit there. This is God's work in us, in the gospel. He's at work transforming us to be fruitful in his service. But all the more, as he's making us fruitful, he's also making us like Jesus Christ. As you are listening to that portrait of a person who embodies the fruit of the Spirit earlier, did you think of Jesus? when we think of the most fruitful person of them all, surely it is him. He loved us by giving his very own life for us. It is his joy that he gives to us, the joy of union with him that he obtained through enduring the cross. He is the prince of peace in whom we have peace with God. He has been patient with us not desiring that we would perish, but that we might be saved. He has been so kind and good to us in all the innumerable, unsearchable riches of his grace. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He is gentle and lowly of heart. And he controlled himself in resisting temptation, being obedient to the point of death. Jesus tastes so sweet, doesn't he? So pleasant, so delightful. This is the greatest picture that we can dwell on, Christ's fruitfulness towards us. Surely we're to stand amazed, not stand, but taste, reach out and grab and taste, and be amazed by such heavenly delights. And then as we taste of him, we are transformed. We become more like him. We too can bear the same fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We are in union with Christ by his Spirit. And so fruitfulness is guaranteed for the Christian. This is what it says in um, John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus said this of himself. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As we remain or abide in Christ, we will bear much fruit. We cannot be loving or kind or good by ourselves. Jesus was very clear about that. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But with him, with him, we can be fruitful Now we can walk and live in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and not fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. We can say no to sin and yes to Christ-likeness. We have all the spiritual nutrients in Christ to make us fruitful Christians. So let's be fruitful. Let's depend on Christ and give people a taste of him. That's really what our fruit is meant to do. When others taste what we're like really we're reflecting what he's like, they're tasting what he's like, our flavour is the flavour of Jesus Christ. To some it will taste disgusting, not that the fruit itself is disgusting, but to some it will be the flavour of death, but to others it will taste of life, and life eternal, it will taste of Jesus Christ himself. And so let's taste like the fruit of the Spirit. Let's taste like Jesus Christ. This will take reflection on our part. Remember here, it's not even put in the way of good works. It's just characteristics. These things come over time in our lives. They, they build up. We become more like this over time. Just as a fruit grows over time, we will grow and flourish. But, but let us take stock now. Let's examine ourselves where are we in our love? Where can we be more joyful and more good and more kind to other people in my life? Perhaps we need to be more intentional in our families and with our friends and to serve them and love them. Or perhaps with unbelievers, uh, we need to actually give them a taste of what this Christianity is about, what this, who this Christ really is. It, it, we can share the gospel but there's also they see the gospel in our lives and how it's working how that what the fruit of his work in our lives too maybe we need to check how can we control ourselves more uh, how can we um, serve Christ more in our lives surely there's so many areas and I'll ask to send that away with you this week and um, to dwell go back on this list and dwell and pray over these things, asking God to develop and grow them more in your life um, for his glory. But perhaps you're not a Christian here this morning. Um, and you've been coming along, maybe this is your first time. Maybe this sounds attractive to you. Maybe you've not heard of anything like this before. A person so perfect, so fruitful as Jesus Christ. Uh, and you want to be fruitful too. Uh, you, you want to change. Then confess your own sinfulness your own thorniness, admit that the way you're living in sin was only leading you to death and hell, but then embrace Jesus Christ, or even better yet, let Jesus Christ embrace you. Taste of his love, and his joy, and his peace, and his patience, and his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, and self-control. Rejoice that he died the death you deserve, that you might now live a new fruitful life for him. Christian, we will grow in the fruit of the Spirit, because this is God's work in us. So let's keep on growing. Remember this war going on, perhaps the war is more obvious, and to feel the the resistance from the flesh. But remember, God is at work in you to transform you, to make you fruitful. Remember his work in you and keep on abiding in Christ. Keep on cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in your life, not for your own sake, but for others, so that they may taste and see that the Lord is good and his work in us. Let's bear fruit for God and let's give others a taste of him. Amen.